welcome to the What The Heck podcast, a show that looks at mysteries and the unexplained. I'm your host, Glenn. Every week I look at something unexplained, telling a story or describing it, then look at the theory surrounding it. I won't give you any answers because I don't know them myself. I'll just give you what you need to decide for yourself. Research is done as academically as possible and references will be given after the stories. This is the opening week of season two, so there's an episode every day. This week has a theme. That theme, as I revealed in the previous episode, is Somerset. Every day this week, I've looked at a mystery from the county of Somerset in the UK. Today, on Halloween, we're looking at a mystery that I grew up in the vicinity of. Today's mystery is the disappearance of Jeanette Tate. Jeanette Tate was born in Taunton on May 5th, 1965. An only child to parents John and Sheila Tate, she grew up on a road called Wedlands. The family relocated briefly to Cornwall, but eventually moved to Devon. Jeanette's parents separated when she was still young and her father remarried. She stayed with John, her stepmother Violet, and her stepsister Tanya in a cottage in the village of Aylesbere, Devon. Aylesbere is eight miles or 13 kilometres from the city of Exeter. Although her parents had separated, Jeanette maintained regular contact with her mother. Her family said that her ability to do maths had amazed them from a young age. They also said that she loved animals, writing and composing poetry. She was a curious girl and that curiosity had helped her overcome a shyness that she had. On August 19th, 1978, when Jeanette was 13, John left the house early to take Violet to work in Exeter. He returned home before 10am and made Jeanette and Tanya breakfast. Tanya was going to Cornwall that day to spend two weeks with her father and took Jeanette to the post office to get some sweets. At 12.20 that afternoon, John took Tanya and her boyfriend to Exeter so that they could catch their coach to Cornwall, which left Jeanette at home. Sometime after 2pm, she left the cottage to deliver copies of the newspaper, The Express and Echo. Riding her bicycle, she made her way along Withan Lane, the main road in Aylesbeard. She followed the lane onto the A3052, the main road that connects Exeter to the seaside town of Sidmouth. Because it was August, the road was quite busy. She crossed it to the White Horse Inn and collected a bundle of papers from the back of a delivery van to begin her round. Roger Busby, the press officer for Devon and Cornwall Police at the time, said that it was her last day on the paper round. She had been helping out as a relief paper paper girl and it was supposed to be for a week. The main paper boy was due to return on the Monday and she had agreed to help him out while he was busy for the week. 
By 3.15pm, she had delivered 14 papers and had made her way down two-thirds of Withan Lane. At a small bridge, she met two friends, Margaret Heavey and Tracy Platt. They chatted for a while and started to walk back towards Aylesbeer together. At the top of a small hill, Jeanette got back on her bike and went on ahead. Margaret and Tracy would have seen her for around 50 metres until the lane curved and she was out of view. Around 10 minutes later, the two girls came across Jeanette's bike in the road. It was on its side and the newspapers had spilled from the basket onto the ground. They began to call for her, looking over hedgerows and into the fields on the other side, but Jeanette didn't respond and they couldn't see her. They picked up her bike and took it back to Jeanette's home, where they found John and Violet, who had finished work for the day. John said that he went back to the lane to see where they had found the bike to see if he could find her. The two girls, John and Violet, began to look for Jeanette in the same way that Margaret and Tracy had before. At some point, Violet told John that they should phone the police. The police acted swiftly and used all the resources at their disposal. Within a couple of hours of John's call, uniformed officers had come to Aylesbeer and the Royal Air Force, the RAF, had launched a search and rescue helicopter to help in the search. John and Violet's call had turned their usually quiet village into a hive of police activity in their search to find Jeanette. The police spent that first evening looking for her in the lanes and fields of the village. This activity would continue on for weeks and then months. Detective Superintendent Eric Rundle was in charge of the investigation. He was an experienced officer and the second most senior detective in the Devon and Cornwall force. He divided the detectives below him into teams and gave each team responsibility for a specific area. They immediately found a problem. There were no witnesses to the disappearance, and so nobody could say what had happened. It led to a lot of unanswered questions right from the start. Had Jeanette had an accident? Had she been robbed or kidnapped? Nothing could be ruled out. But right from the start, the most likely scenario was accepted that she had likely been abducted. In scenarios like that, the first 24 hours are often thought to be the most crucial to finding victims alive. One detective said that Tracy and Margaret moving the bike from the lane was disappointing because the scene had been tampered with, which could have meant that evidence could be missing. The police circulated Jeanette's description in the hopes that someone would recognise her and commandeered the village hall to coordinate their search and daily briefings. After 48 hours, there was no sign of Jeanette, causing the anxiety surrounding the case to grow. A breakthrough came in the form of Matilda Rogers. She was from Hull and was married to a policeman. She and her daughter Gail had been on holiday in Devon and were staying in a cottage on Withan Road. They came forward to the police and told them that they 
they came forward to the police and told them what they knew. They said that they had seen the three girls on the lane shortly before Jeanette had disappeared. They told police that they had also seen a man in a maroon car that was driving along the lane in the direction of the girls. They believed that the car would have passed them on the lane close to where Jeanette had disappeared. The information was the most credible thing that the police had heard so far and they followed this lead for many years. Later on, hypnosis revealed that the car could have been a Triumph 1300 or a similar car with fins and Matilda had described the man driving the car as a young man with smart appearance and dark hair. The police turned their attention to known sex offenders and found that no suspects presented themselves. Even John Tate was asked to account for his whereabouts but had an alibi that checked out. John had even asked Jeanette whether she wanted to go with him and Tanya to the coach station but she had declined. The last time he had seen her she was in, front, in the front garden of the cottage with a puzzle book. Whilst he had been in Exeter, he had dropped Tanya and her boyfriend off at the coach station, picked Violet up and had an ice cream in Cathedral Yard. The staff at Dingle's department store recalled that John had been there to collect a plate that he bought to replace a broken one. Rundle and his superior, Detective Chief Superintendent Proven Sharp, had decided at the beginning of the investigation that they would need the media to help them find Jeanette. The plan was to maximise the exposure to find her as quickly as possible. The investigation involved a cooperation between the press and police and the press coverage was enormous in the coming months. The evening Jeanette disappeared, Roger Busby contacted the people he knew in the local and national press to alert them and invite them to a press conference in Aylesbeer on Sunday, August 20th. Reporters from the Exeter Express and Echo, the Western Morning News, the BBC, the Press Association and other national media assembled at Withan Lane at 8am. Busby had returned the bike to the place that Margaret and Tracy had found it, scattering newspapers across the ground. The press photos taken that day were featured on the Monday morning and pushed the investigation to a national level. The photograph of the bike was a central image to the investigation. One photographer for a local agency said that once the photos were released, media staff from London descended on Aylesbeer, causing a huge media presence during the investigation. During this stage of the investigation, the press, the public and the police worked together to try and solve the mystery of what had happened to Jeanette Tate. This reached a peak on the weekend after her disappearance, when around 8,000 people answered a call from Rundell to search Woodbury Common, a large grassland area just outside of Aylesbeer. The press dubbed the group Jeanette's Army. The group split into smaller groups and walked the whole common looking for evidence that could help the investigation. 
The media's appeal had gained so much support that people had freely given time to look for her. What's strange though, is that there wasn't a reason to look on the common. Despite the efforts of the police, the media and the public who helped, no trace of Jeanette was found. The void that the lack of evidence created allowed clairvoyance, mystics, paranormal enthusiasts and conspiracy theorists to speculate on the events of the afternoon of August 19th. Surprisingly, the media and even the police were willing to hear about the theories being put forward by them. A Dutch psychic was accompanied by the police and a national newspaper on a search of the area. People came to speak to the Tate family and shared theories with them. One person said that she had been abducted by aliens and taken to Venus. A vicar even created a 24-hour confession line in the hope that the abductor's conscience would cause him to admit to the act. Police wanted to generate publicity and tolerated these things, but they realised that no amount of publicity would yield any new information or evidence. The police gave daily conferences to the press and reenacted Jeanette's bike ride down Withan Lane. The police searches grew wider and the Royal Marines were even called in to help. In an attempt to aid the search, John Tate was interviewed on TV. He revealed that he would wake up in the night and jump at the slightest noise. The press would climb his high garden walls just to interview him. And while this was happening, John was always searching for any signs of Jeanette. The momentum of the press carried the investigation for several months, but that wasn't going to last forever. As time went on and no evidence of Jeanette was found, the investigation slowed and eventually stopped. The police left the village hall, taking the press with them. In the early 1980s, detectives travelled to Australia to look into a potential lead. Hopes were, real, hopes were raised that this could be the breakthrough that the investigation needed. However, the police decided that the lead was a dead end and the case went cold for 10 years. In 1990, a man was arrested on the Scottish border after abducting a child. He had a long list of crimes that earned him the title of monster. His name was Robert Black. He was born in 1947 and given up for adoption when he was six months old. His foster father sexually abused him until he was 11 and then was returned to state care where he was abused by the staff there. He abused young girls from around the age of 15 and was convicted as a child sex attacker by the age of 17. He passed his driving test in 1976 and got a job as a poster delivery driver. This work took him all over the UK and Ireland and even onto the mainland of Europe. He used this job as a way to continue his attacks on children, choosing to snatch children from small rural settlements. In 1994, Robert Black was convicted of the kidnap, rape 
and murder of three different girls and was sentenced to life in prison. Each of the crimes had been committed in the 1980s and shared similarities with Jeanette Tate's disappearance. Susan Maxwell had been abducted on July 30th, 1982. Her body was found 264 miles from where he had taken her from. Caroline Hogg was abducted on July 8th, 1983. Her body was found 310 miles away. Sarah Harper was taken on March 26th, 1986. Her body was found 71 miles away. Black's arrest and conviction was national news. Detectives from Devon and Cornwall Police questioned him about Jeanette Tate, but he never admitted to any crimes and answered very carefully so that he didn't implicate himself. By the end of the 1990s, the common view was that Black had abducted and killed Jeanette. In 2007, the police presented a file to the Crown Prosecution Service in an attempt to bring charges against Black for Jeanette's disappearance. They were denied due to a lack of evidence. A fourth conviction was given to Black in 2011. Jennifer Cardi had disappeared on August 12th, 1981, while she was cycling to a friend's house. She had been murdered, and evidence had been presented to the courts that placed Black in the area at the time of the crime. Using this, Devon and Cornwall Police attempted to bring their Jeanette case forward again. Robert Black died in prison in 2016, when the police were five weeks away from presenting their file to seek prosecution again. They never revealed the full extent of their case, but it's known that a witness claimed to have seen Black acting suspiciously on August 19th, 1978. In lieu of a court case, the police concluded the investigation should be closed and were sure that Robert Black was the culprit. Here's where I come into the story. Sort of. I'm not involved in the investigation at all. I was born in 1992 and also grew up on wetlands. We moved away when I was 18, but I know the street well. In 2017, letters were sent to more than a dozen homes on the street. They didn't come from Robert Black since he had died the year before. Each letter was handwritten and said that the body of Jeanette Tate was buried in one of the gardens on the street, which is shaped like a horseshoe. The police dismissed the letters, saying that they weren't credible. The person who wrote the letters was never named, but the letters also make accusations about the police investigation. The letter says, police all around the world know where Jeanette's body is in that back garden, but will not recover her as this would warrant an investigation. I can't give you the exact house number as the police will use it against me by alleging I am harassing the owners of that house. Although they dismissed the letters, the police did make some inquiries at some of the houses on the street to assure them that there was no truth to the letters. One resident said that she received the letter and phoned the police immediately. 
She said that she knew Jeanette had lived on the street and had gone to the school at the end of the bottom half of the road. She also said that the letter had worried her and that police hadn't reassured her at all. PC Gavin Clemens from the Taunton Police said they were aware of the letters and their contents. They identified the author and intended to speak to them. He also said that the claims were not credible and that they endeavoured to speak to all the recipients of the letters to assure them of that. In 2020, Jeanette's father, John, died. He had moved to Manchester after the investigation to live out the rest of his life. Over the 40 years after Jeanette's disappearance, he became diabetic, had McArdle's disease, which affects skeletal muscles, suffered from prostate cancer, and was confined to a wheelchair. He suffered a major stroke that left him needing care too. In 2016, he had received the dossier on the Robert Black case, but John was never truly convinced that it had been Black. He said in an interview in 2018 that he didn't 100% believe that Black had done it, which meant that another killer was on the loose. He said that he needed proof that Black had done it, suggesting that the police dossier didn't really have any proof that Black was the culprit. Unfortunately, Jeanette Tate has never been found. Her father died without closure, and we may never know what happened even with the extensive investigation into her disappearance. Jeanette Tate went missing on a country lane in Devon in 1978. Despite an extensive investigation, she has never been found. There is only really one theory about the case, but John Tate, in his final years, didn't agree with that theory. The theory in question is that Robert Black kidnapped and murdered Jeanette. This theory would make sense, since there are receipts that can place Black in the area around the time. Matilda Rogers claimed to have seen a maroon car on the road around the time too. However, Margaret and Tracy, Jeanette's friends, couldn't recall seeing a car coming towards them at all when questioned. There is also a major lack of evidence in the case. Nothing that can point to Black as the culprit. We don't know how many victims he actually had, but four of them were found, which could suggest that he wasn't trying very hard to cover his tracks and wouldn't add up if he had taken Jeanette. The idea that she may have suffered an accident of some sort also doesn't make sense, since she would likely have been discovered nearby very early into the investigation. It makes more sense that she was abducted. But by who? John Tate made it clear that he didn't fully believe that Robert Black was the culprit. He knew that it would mean that the true culprit is still out there somewhere, holding on to this secret. It also brings to question the fate of Jeanette. Could she still be alive under a new name, living a new life out there? 
The disappearance of Jeanette Tate shocked the UK in 1978 and haunted the residents of Wedlands in 2017. She was never found and will likely never know what really happened. The story from this episode came from a Somerset County Gazette article called Jeanette Tate's father, John, dies without knowing who killed her. And three Devon Live articles. The disappearance of Jeanette Tate. Jeanette Tate, the Devon paper girl who never came home. And disturbing letters make shock claims missing Jeanette Tate is buried in garden. The theories from this episode, from the disappearance of Jeanette Tate, and the Somerset County Gazette article. References for the episode and links to studies will be posted on social media for you to have a look at. Social media links are available using the link in the episode description. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and post short pieces on epi- of episodes on TikTok. I have a Patreon, but I'm still deciding what to post on it this season. There is a £3 tier if you want to support me anyway. The link to the Patreon is also on the link tree. And as before, you're welcome to email me. No. The link to the Patreon is also on the link tree. And as before, you're welcome to pledge more than £3 a month. And I'll find something extra special for the people that do. My email address is also in the episode description. If you want to send me spooky stories, unexplained events or even mysteries you want me to look at. If I get enough, I'll set up some listener episodes to read them. Please don't hesitate to email me if you have any corrections or issues with things that I've said. Once I've seen the email, I'll make sure to correct myself. The next episode will be out on Wednesday and we'll be back on the regular scheduling. Creature Features will be back as well, with the first episode of the season releasing Saturday, November the 5th. I hope you'll return for more mysteries. I'll see you on Wednesday. Hold on until then.